back to the Portugal podcast. My name is Matthew Marshall, and this is the fourth and final part of the mission. A mission that started in Chaves on the 10th of February 2022. The start of a crazy run in northern Portugal, where I went to 19 games in 15 days. Part four starts in Funchal in Madeira, a beautiful part of the world, birthplace of Cristiano Ronaldo, where Maritimo hosted Sporting Club de Portugal. The music in this podcast is all from 1976. Sit back and enjoy. And here we are, Medeira. Estadio dos Barreiros in Funchal. What a beautiful view it is from up here in the press area, overlooking the bay and the mountains. I can see Nacional Stadium right up in the top there. And today we've got Maritimo hosting Sporting Club de Portugal. Maritimo couldn't follow up that 3-0 win in Aruca, losing here 1-0 to Famalicão, where they hardly look like scoring. Joel Tegueu with a penalty saved and they played the entire second half with a man down after Claudio Vink right back got sent off. So we see Vitor Costa back in at left back, Clesio in at right back, Tegueu, he's out with Bruno Jardas in, he'll play in an attacking midfield role behind Ali Alipoa. Quite a few changes for Sporting coming off that 3-0 win against Estoril. Sebastian Cuartes is back in, Mateus Reich Slots into that left side of Amorim's three-man central defence with Nuno Santos, the left wing back. Two of their main attackers, Pot and Pablo Sarabia, are out, which means Daniel Bergansa. He's in, and Islam Samani. Looks like he's going to partner Paulinho up front. Quite a few sporting supporters here, as you would imagine, on a Saturday afternoon. Easy for them to get here from Lisboa and get back on a Sunday before starting a new work week. I'm really looking forward to this one, my first match here in Funchal. Oh. Wow. Six minutes in, Maritimo taking the lead. It was a cross into the box, and there you have it, Bruno Chardas back in the starting side. Left-footed shot, squeezed through a defender, but done, no chance. But that was a terrible, terrible piece of work from Nunes. Don't know what he was thinking. Should have just put his boot through it and got, it, got the ball out of there. 15 minutes in, Slimani just went close. It's going to be a miracle if... Maritimo can keep a clean sheet here today. Sporting, uh, just probing, probing from wide areas through the middle. It's going to be interesting to see how long the home side can hold out for here. 20 minutes in and Sporting already had five corners. And you can see what a weapon Cuartes is when he's in that area and the balls are getting delivered into the box.
it is. 38th minute equaliser. Overload down the left side. Milo Santos, Mateusz Reisch, and then he gets to the byline, cuts it back to Islam Slamani. And he had a pretty simple finish there from close range. Less than a minute later, Manitou were back in front. It was Jardas with the cross on the left wing. Sebastian Quartes looks like he just fell over. And Ali Ali Pua managed to control the ball and just slam it home from close range. Oh. It's been called back for an offside. It must have been Jardas, I guess, before he... Delivered the cross. That's disappointing for the home crowd, for sure. 58 minutes in, and it's been all sporting here to start the second half. Quite worrying signs for Maritimo. We're getting a bit closer now, Maritimo. We just saw Belchamo waste a really good chance, and now we've had Guitan, Ali Port down the right wing. And Jadas was just screaming for the ball. But unfortunately, Guitan couldn't get the ball over to him and the dance come out and cut the ball out but some really good signs for the hosts here as they look to hit sporting on the counter oh, oh. unbelievable but Agans has gone through and his shot has hit the bar and the post and still not gone in incredible I mean Quartes is playing as a striker now Amorim so light on substitutions. He's just taken Quartes out of central defence. And he's staying up there, so expect a lot more crosses into the box here as we get into the 88th minute. And that's a wrap, 1-1. One, one. Estadio dos Parreiros. Maritimo holding on under some late pressure from Sporting. Porto hit the, hit the bar and the post. Amorim throwing Cuartes up front. Crosses and corners repeatedly coming into the box. But Maritimo holding on and getting a really good point. They'll take that and they'll use this to build on, especially with Jardas coming back into the starting side. Okay, Maritimo 1, Sporting 1. Press conference is over and I'm thankfully joined by Philippe here. Philippe, let, tell me a little about your story. You were telling me before that your family has been in Madeira for generations. I grew up here seeing Maritimo games and my grandfather told me a lot of stories about the, the club and I have a special feeling about the, the club. I went to, to Lisbon to study I came back to Madeira, I work as an editor and a cameraman, and now I'm working for Maritimo TV, the, our channel, the channel of the club. We don't have the rights to, to broadcast, so we, we capture the image and do a, like a highlights, 
we don't do only that. We we capture the image of the youth teams and other sports teams, and we put on our side. A lot of people see us. Now you'd said before you went to study in Lisbon, but you just you had a feeling you had to come back to Madeira. Was it, was that always the plan, or when you went to Lisbon, were there any thoughts you might stay in the mainland? After study, I worked two years there, and uh, my wife graduated. Then I I came back because she wanted to come because to have kids we we have uh, the feeling that the Madeira Island is the, the good place to take it. Ah, so she's from Madeira too, your wife? Yes, my wife is. We have two kids now. Enjoy living here. I bet. So what, is, what does Madeira mean to you uh, after, as someone who's grown up here with family here? You know, um, how does it feel to you? Yeah, it's a special feeling because you grow up with the sea around the island and I said to everyone, I ha- we have time to everything. In, in Lisbon, I take one hour to, to get home after work. Here, I, in 10 minutes, five minutes, I'm at home. So I have time to do other things, walk on, on near the, the sea, uh, doing a lot of things, sports, and the, the quality of life here is, is very high. You don't need to earn much money in your work to get a, a good life here. If people are listening that haven't been to Madeira and they're maybe thinking about going, how do you think you could uh, encourage them to come here? We have a lot of things, a lot of experiences, good foods. We have from mount- mountain to the sea. You have to come to, to, to feel what it is Madeira, really. Really looking forward to exploring the island. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. All the best of luck for the future. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. I'm at the Estadio da Madeira. What a beautiful setting this is for a football stadium. Right up on the top of the uh, of the mountain here, with a, just a supreme view of Funchal. Amazing they uh, built a stadium up here. Nacional. They've still got a chance of promotion. They're very hard to beat here in Madeira, and they take on Torofense, who are down towards the bottom of the Segunda Liga table. Some familiar names lining up for the host. Bayano at right back. Chico Ramos in the attacking midfield role. Expecting him to have a big game. And Rochez up front. You've got to give it up for these defence supporters. I mean, they're making a fair bit of noise. There must be, let me count them. One, two, seven. Maybe eight. No, seven. And uh, they're over there in the corner. It looks like they're having a great time here at 11 o'clock in the morning in Madeira. <laughs> fair play, fair play. What you really notice at this level is there's just so many passes that are on, particularly switching a play. A lot of these players, they just don't have the vision, they, they can't see it. And then the chance is gone. As Rochez out to Chica Ramos, hit it. Oh! 
just wide. But uh, Nassinal have had pretty much all the chances here. And it would be surprising if they don't score sooner or later. And just like that, so the fence have scored. It's Jose Gomes, the left back from Nacional, who just given the ball away so easily. And it looks like it was under the Zinho. He tried, he got past the keeper. He got taken really, really wide, but he managed to fire it in from a super tight angle. Totally against the run of play and totally self-inflicted. Oh wow, it's a straight red card for Trofense winger Capita. Right in front of me, he's made a foul on Chico Ramos. It didn't look that bad. Chico Ramos made a bit of a meal out of it, but I don't think this can be rescinded without VAR. He's going to be gone. We're about 40 minutes in, and that's not what the visitors wanted after taking the lead against the run of play. Half time, wow, what an eventful half of football <laughs> that was. Nacional with most of the play, most of the chances. Basically all of the defence attacks, just self-inflicted from the home side, just, just terrible passing out of the back. And the goal came from one of those very opportunities. Just a ridiculous turnover. Nacional finishing the first half strong. It's going to be all Nacional in the second half. Let's see if they can turn it around. Second half just got underway here and... We've seen a change in Nacional. It's Philippe Shabi, 28-year-old attacking midfielder on loan from Sporting's B team. He replaces Al Hassan, so that's a defensive-minded midfielder off for an attacking midfielder. Fantastic chance for Nacional. It's from a corner. It's Shabi. Looks like he's going to take over free kick and set piece duties. The ball's been headed into the path of Roches. And he looks at the score, but his header from point-blank range, saved by Rodrigo. Unbelievable. So offensive hit the post. It's Beshu with the cross. And it was Kyle Marcelo, the centre-back, who was up there following a corner, who's headed the ball. And it's come straight back off the post. Oh. And now it's Beshu with a shot deflected over the bar so suddenly to the fence after being on the back foot for the first eight or so minutes of the second half hit the post and I've just seen a shot deflected wide and now it's a corner and there it is equalizer 71st minute, it's a substitute, Ruben Macedo. He's crossed the ball back around the penalty spot, and there's Chico Ramos. Basically squeezed it under the to the fence goalkeeper, Rodrigo Mora. They needed that. Plenty of time to find that winning goal. Danilovic just forced a save. It's just all nasty now, just ball after ball coming into the area and we've got five minutes at a time can they snatch a winner here there are a few women <laughs> down to the left of me right behind the to the fence uh, dugout 
who have been uh, hurling the, the verbal abuse all game long. Normally it's the men dishing it out, but no, uh, no sexual discrimination here. <laughs> Unbelievable. So the fence already had a great chance, and now it's Gustavo Furtado, and he's, I mean, glorious chance, but he's, he's just missed it by a country mile. Shabi's cross just begging to be headed into the net by Rochez, but the ball just sailing over the Honduran striker's head. And that's going to be it. Five minutes of added time, almost up. Defence <laughs> goalkeeper with a yellow card for time wasting. No, that's it. So you can see why, as I said, these teams are in the second division, and you can also see why Nacional probably won't get promoted this season, despite being a man up. Defence just had so many opportunities to score. Tremendous game, really exciting, really open in the final 20 or so minutes, but just not quite enough quality on the ball for Nacional to get the two goals they needed to take three points from this one. Estadio de São Miguel. What a beauty. In Ponta Delgada, I was lucky to be on the island of São Miguel a few years ago. I had a quite a lot of time to drive around and check it out. Just beautiful green cows living the life here. Volcanic, really interesting coastline. Really, really beautiful. And I'm happy to be back now as Santa Clara hosting Vizela. The drizzle is sweeping across the field here. It's a decent turnout. Vizela, I've seen a lot of their supporters in Ponte Delgada. There's about a hundred of them here. Fair play to them for making the trip over. And I can see some Santa Clara supporters braving the weather on the opposite side of me here with their raincoats on. And the ones underneath me here, I've got a fair bit of protection. A lot of Santa Clara's action comes through the Brazilian duo, Lincoln and Crisan. They are both responsible for 10 goals and 8 assists in the Primeira Liga. Full time here in São Miguel. As I make my way onto the pitch, up to the centre circle. I don't get to do this very often. This is nice. I couldn't do any recording during the match. The press area here in... Uh, in the stadium is uh, behind some uh, some glass panels which I found out were very effective. <laughs> there were two uh, instances where the rain just came in so hard and on a vicious angle and all the people here that were not uh, undercover quickly bolted out of their seats to, uh, to scramble underneath the uh, very limited space here underneath the stand. 
Santa Clara 1-3-1. It was a deserved win. It was nil-nil at half-time, but you could see what they were trying to do early on down the right wing with Rafael Ramos, the right back, getting involved. And it's just so easy to see that the Brazilian duo of Lincoln and Crisan really, really the driving force of this team. They needed uh, to wait till the 66th minute to take the lead. It was across from the right wing, Ramos, which uh, saw Bruno Wilson head the ball into his own net. And then just two minutes later, it was Crisan at the back post who slammed the ball home. They allowed Vizela back into the game. It was Kennedy Boateng with an error that saw Kiko come in and uh, get a goal back for the visitors. But then a very quick free kick saw Rui Costa uh, catch the Vizela goalkeeper off his line in the 90th minute to seal the deal. I can't stress enough just how beautiful the Azores are. Just green all over the place once you get out of Ponta Delgada itself and start driving around. You need a bit of luck with the weather because it can be cloudy very often here. So especially once you get higher up into the mountains, you do need a bit of luck to uh, to have any visibility at all in, in some of the beautiful spots. But Furness, really beautiful. And the East Coast, really, really rough there. So if you can't get over here, there's a lot of islands. I, I managed to get to Santa Maria, which is the island just south of here. But there's another seven of them over to the west. They're all a lot smaller than San Miguel. And of course, you need to be doing a bit of island hopping to get around them with uh, planes and boats. So that's something I hope to do into the future as I walk now onto the penalty spot. Really nice, actually, to be walking on the grass here where all the action just uh, took place. I might try and make this happen a bit more regularly. I'll be out of here in the morning. I'm heading back to Porto, and then uh, I'll be taking another drive down to Tondela. on the mainland and back at the Estadio Joao Cardoso it's Tondela hosting Belenenses huge game I just made it in time here I had to leg it from Porto get through some peak hour traffic fill up before the uh, price per litre hits 3 euros and stop by a joint I found here last time for a quick bite to eat and made it here with about 10 minutes to spare beautiful pretty different Tondela team to the one I saw go down against Braga here Paco Ayestaran rang some changes in that cup game where they beat Mafra 3-0. Looks like he's rewarded some of those players. I'm pretty happy to see Thiago Dantas. He wasn't playing last time I was here. And from what I saw of Belenenses, I'd be very surprised if Tondela don't win this one. Players are about to come out onto the pitch. about nine minutes into the game and it's already clear that Thiago Dantas is the classiest player on the pitch he just sees things a little bit quicker than everybody else he has that ability to see where his teammates are even in wide positions and find them with long balls
into the 34th minute. Tondela, 1-0 up. It was nice work from Dantash and Barbosa to win a corner, which came in. And there was Manu Hernando, centre-back, who headed the ball home. They deserved it. Balanets really not creating anything. Alfonso Sosa, he's trying hard, but he just can't get much space. As most of Tondela's good work continues to come through Tsergadentos. Rafael Barbosa also looking pretty low up front. And there he is. It's Alfonso Sosa, the guy I was just talking about. He's actually a member of that UEFA Youth League winning squad from Porto. And he's just had a shot from outside the box. Hit the crossbar. That's the closest Belenenses have come to scoring here in the 39th minute. Oh. Great move by Tondela. Rafael Barbosa is having a really strong game. He started the move. Pedro Augusto getting on the ball. Dos Anjos in the box. His cross has come across, but Thiago Dantas had to hit it with his left foot. And he missed it by a country mile. Half time. Tondela deserved the lead. They should really be two up. It's interesting when you look at that Porto youth team squad. Obviously, they had the quartet still at Porto Diogo Costa, João Mario, Vitinha, Fabio Vieira. And then you got a bloke like Afonso Souza who's had to drop down the pecking order as far as clubs go. And it's unlikely that Belenenses are going to avoid relegation. So it will be interesting to see what happens with a guy like Afonso Souza. You've seen. Luis Jorge, the under-21 manager for Portugal, basically used him as a substitute for Fabio Vieira for that team. And it was also interesting to see a guy like Mario Silva, the manager of that successful youth team. Of course, now he's over in São Miguel managing Santa Clara. Full-time in Tondela, who completely lost control in the second half. Belenenses came out on fire. It looked like just a matter of time before they would equalize. And that came in the 64th minute. It was Arbel Kamara, the striker, who headed home from close range. Tondela really only created one decent chance with Thiago Dantas getting into the box, cutting it back for Pedro Augusto. He shot just wide, and Kamara could have stolen it at the end in the 90th minute but he couldn't get a connection on the ball from close range. Disappointing for the hosts here. A win would have taken them above Aruka and out of the relegation playoff position. The point here gets them one point closer to Aruka and one point away from Modernense. But really disappointing not to be able to follow up that impressive first half performance. They could have easily been 2-0 up and they will have to travel to Porto next before a home game against Aruka, which will be massive in the battle to avoid relegation. A 
I'm standing inside the fortifications of the Castello de Santa Maria de Feira, the castle here. There's just nobody else here. I had to wait a little while for the, uh, the people working here to get back from lunch. And I've had the entire place to myself. It's been beautiful just walking around and taking it all in. This place is interesting because it was really on the border of the Moorish Kingdom and the Northern Catholic Kingdoms. This place existed before Portugal became a nation. It was a powerful family here and it played an important role in the formation of Portugal because when Dom Afonso waged war against his mother and uh, her lover, the Count of Galicia, in the Battle of Sal Mamed in 1128, the rulers here backed Afonso, as did most of the, uh, the powerful families. They thought it would be much better if Afonso took over, and that he did. A few years later, he became the first king of Portugal. It's really interesting to see the way they adapted the fortifications here to go from crossbows, arrows, and those sorts of weapons to gunpowder and guns. There's not a whole lot of it left. There was a huge fire here in the 18th century, but I've just come along the eastern walls here, and it's a really, really nice view of the castle. And I climbed up one of the towers and had a really nice view of the football stadium, Ferenc. Well worth a visit. It's really the main attraction in Santa Maria de Feira. And Feira, Portugal, means fair. And this place was so important back in the day that they had a fair here. And that's how the place got its name. Well worth a visit. It's only about half an hour south of Porto. And just be careful not to come between 12.30 <laughs> and 1.30 because it will be closed. <laughs> Estadio do Dragão, Europa League. It continues, round of 16 now, first leg. Porto coming off that 4-2 win against Passos de Ferreira, where the strike force, Mehdi Taremi and Evan Nilsson, were just unstoppable. Only one change. Sanusi coming in for Wendell at left back. And Leon, they're coming off a 4-1 win at Lodion. Romain Fiverr scoring twice. Musa Dembele with a goal and a, an assist. Peter Boss managing the French club. Just disgusting weather in Porto today. It's been raining all afternoon. And we're a couple of minutes away from kickoff here. Third minute, still nil-nil. Carl Toko Akambi had a fantastic chance to put Leon ahead just a couple of minutes ago. Cross came in. He took a touch which took it around Diogo Costa. The goal looked like it was at his mercy, but he couldn't connect from close range. You'd have to say Porto have had more of their better chances, but overall it's been a pretty even game really love what I'm seeing from Vitinha. He's just full of confidence and really turning into a complete midfielder. And Fiverr, the young French attacking midfielder, is playing out on the right wing. He looks excellent. Really comfortable on the ball. Always trying to make something happen. Taking players on, playing one-twos. 
second half has started. Pepe, who uh, took a knock to the head early on, is off. Ruben Semedo, with his long hair, he's on. Already we're seeing a lot more attack. Just five minutes into the second half, Medi Tademi shot wide. And then we've just seen Musa Dembele fire wide from close range. Leon have had a few chances in the last couple of minutes. Porto looking really, really nervous. I'm not sure how much of that is due to Pep being subbed off at half time, but Leon are looking really dangerous. 59th minute, Leon had the ball into the net. It was a Camby. Nice work from the left wing. He linked up with Dembele, and then the ball came out to Paqueta. He side-footed it into the corner. Linesman has his flag up. And it's a goal. The home crowd have gone completely silent here. The Leon fans up in the top corner of the stadium making plenty of noise. You can see that coming a mile away. I mean, as I said, Porto looking so nervous. Leon just creating chance after chance. Let's see how the Dragons react now with 30 minutes to go. That's a penalty. Porto were attacking. And the balls come out to, looks like Paqueta, the goal scorer. And he's, he's handballed it. The Leon players are furious. This will go to VAR for sure. Okay, he's coming over to look at the monitor so that means very likely to get overturned yeah I mean when the referee goes over to the monitor like that you're almost guaranteed that they're going to overturn the decision what's happened is the ball's come across and it's hit back at the thigh and then bounced up off his thigh into his arm it was only a matter of time before Sergio Conceição introduced Tony Martinez, Spanish striker who scored those two goals here against Lazio. I've just got zero idea why Conceição wouldn't have brought Fabio Vieira on before. I mean, Otavio with the balls basically done nothing all game. As it looks like Vieira and Galeno are about to come on as we approach the 80 minute mark. Time running out for Porto here. We're into added time. They had a couple of chances. Vieta and Galena really were the, the best chance from close range. Sergio Conceição hasn't had one of his better games today. Leon are a quality team. Peter Boss is a quality manager. Porto trying desperately hard to find an equaliser. Let's see if they can do that from this corner. Vitinha. No, straight at Anthony Lopes, who's had a strong game. Can't be too long to go now, as a lot of the Porto supporters start leaving the stadium. That's a bit lame, but here we go. <laughs> They've done it! How bloody amazing! And it's come out of absolutely nowhere! It's just a, a hopeful ball into the box. 
and it's evaded everyone and it's fallen to it looks like a member and it also looked like a completely miscued his shot that somehow sailed into the roof of the net amazing it looked like Leon were going to hold on oh here we go VAR it's another VAR it's been ruled out it's taken a touch off one of the Porto players before it got to a member who was about a yard offside and it's full time Finally, some decent music at a football stadium. And I'm back in Braga. They're hosting Monaco in the Europa League round of 16, first leg. Carlos Carvajal going with Abel Ruiz up front instead of Vitinha. A little bit surprising. We've got Fabiano in that back three again. Otherwise, not too many changes. It's going to be a very interesting game here. Absolute traffic chaos outside the stadium and it's not even I know it's about 10% full as the players are making their way out let's see if we'll see the Ricardo Horta show once again in front in the third minute he headed a corner on target the ball went back out but then it's been fired in by Rodrigo Gomes and the ball just found Ruiz and he's got behind the defence and slotted it home
it's all been happening here in Braga. Monaco got on top, and then out of nowhere, Ricardo Horta shot from distance. It was a tricky one that bounced right at Nubel, and he's deflected it onto the post. And then the ball just bounced basically straight over him. And then Braga had a couple more chances, but then out of nowhere, Vandersen, the right back, just lobbed the ball into the box, and it's evaded everyone and fallen straight to Wissam Benyeda, who's headed the ball past Mateusz to equalise. We've got some VAR action going on here. It's taking quite a while. It looks like it's going to be offside. The second half has just started here in Braga. Gee, that first half was full of action. Braga starting well, taking the lead. Monaco getting on top. Braga then having a couple of really good chances. And then Monaco getting back on top. So it's swung in different directions this match as Philip Pamon has made a change here. It's Betty Oshile. He's come on for Matisma in central defence. Let's see how we get on here at the quarry. Monaco really should have equalised just then. A few minutes into the second half, Sean Lucas releasing Gelson Martins, who's got the ball basically on the penalty spot, but Mateusz again has come off his line got down and saved the shot. I mean, Mateusz was basically man of the match here in that second leg against Sheriff and he's continued off that form in the Europa League. He's been outstanding. And Cavalial is getting ready to make two substitutions here. Vitinha on for Abel Ruiz. And it's going to be Jan Kutu. Okay, so Fabiano will go back over to the right wing back position. And we'll have Paulo Oliveira take his spot. Time running out for Monaco to find an equaliser here. They've really run out of ideas. Philippe Comont has made a couple of changes. But taking off Holland, Ben Yedda hasn't really done anything. And this would be an impressive clean sheet for Carvalho outside. And to go to Monaco with a 1-0 advantage would be very handy. Wow. Braga, 2-0. 89th minute is Fabiano with a cross from the right wing. And it's evaded Monaco's defence. Fell to Vitinha, who's headed it into the bottom corner. Here we go. Just as you thought it was going to be a narrow lead for Braga to take to Monaco for the second leg. There's Vitinha. Gee, he just works so hard. He's such a, a fighter. He's such a good guy to have in your team. And this Braga side, really good to watch. Since David Carmo has come back into central defence, they've kept four clean sheets in five games, assuming they hold on here. And with youngsters like Rodrigo Gomez coming through. We've just seen Miguel Fale, 18-year-old, come on. 
They're one of the teams you want to watch in Portugal who can actually hold on to some talented youngsters long enough for them to develop here. And the crowd are loving this as we have six minutes of added time. It's getting a bit ugly with Monaco showing their frustration here with the game about to end. Badia Chile and Vitinha have had a really good battle. No love lost between those two. And full time is now blown. What a tremendous win. Fantastic for Braga. Carlos, congratulations. You must be very happy with the win and also with a clean sheet. Yeah, of course I'm very happy. Uh, I think uh, we deserve a win. Uh, difficult match against a difficult, very difficult team. But we prepared very well the game. Special first half, we did absolutely amazing. We have five, six opportunities. We just scored one goal. Second half, uh, Monaco react. We expect that because they have a lot of quality. But we're defending very well and we wait for our moment to, to score again. And... Uh, uh, at the end, we wish him a good result. It's first half of, of one game. We have a second half to play in Monaco, and uh, we know that will be difficult, but we are in good position now. Explain the decision to start Abel Ruiz. He hadn't scored for a long time. You started him ahead of Vitinha. You must be very happy that he scored so early to give him some confidence. He looked like he was maybe lacking a bit of confidence. Yeah, uh, it was important because uh, to him, of course, it was. Uh, we analysed Monaco and we, we decided that... Uh, will be a good game to, to him. The characteristics of the game, the spaces that he, he could achieve, like he did. And we are very happy to, to choose him to the game because he did the goal and he, he performed very well. No surprise that you've kept four clean sheets in five games since David Cardamore has come back. Yeah. I mean, he's phenomenal. We spoke about him a couple of weeks ago, but just talk about him coming back now to full fitness and how important he is to your team. Yeah, it's uh, important because he's a very good quality player. He uh, will be a top player. He has a left foot, very strong on defence, amazing on the attack because he's uh, very good pass, passing the ball. Um, he gives confidence to the, the defence, to the team also. We are more quiet when, when he plays, absolutely sure, because he's a quiet player also. It's, it's amazing because, as you said, that in four games we, we did we shift three clean sheets or four, four, clean, four sheets clean sheets in five games. In five games, and mm. it's amazing. And uh, the, the the another game was in Boavista, and uh, it was just just one goal, so mm. it's good. And finally, I talked to you here after you gave uh, Rodrigo Gomes his first start. He started every game since. Uh, I saw him here in the, in the last home game, and. Uh, quite a lot of loose passes but today it really seemed like he's, he's got that confidence now he, he took a beating against Monaco but it looks like he's gaining a lot of confidence and really looking comfortable at, at this level uh, would you agree with that? Yeah this is the, the point of the young player so we, we can't expect that the young players perform in a high level all the games it's, it's almost impossible because they need experience they, they, miss, they, they, they must win a lot of things to perform um, with the time, maybe after two, three, four seasons, they start performing in the high level in all the games. Uh, but um, Rodriguez is doing very well all the games. Uh, he's improving, he's better and better, he's, play, he's understanding better the position also. Usually play on the right side, he's playing on the left side with us and he's improving. So game by game we see that he's, uh, he's doing better and better. He, he are missing goals, so he, he needs to score one goal also to win confidence. Yeah. And he, he, he can jam to another level. It will come. Thank you for your time and good luck in, uh, good luck in Monaco. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Thank Carlos. You. Take it easy.
if I tell you that I wrote this song. It's really nice to be back in Coimbra. I was here many years ago, but it was a very brief visit. And I remember finding a bar and getting chatting with a, with a bloke who was a student. And I remember Porto were on television and Hulk was playing. <laughs> That'll give you some idea of when it was. And we must have shared three bottles of wine, got chatting about a whole bunch of things. And he recommended me to buy a book called The Crusades Through Arab Eyes. I did actually buy the book. It took me a long time to read it. I got round to that last summer. It was very interesting. And today I visited the Santa Cruz Monastery. You have to be a little bit careful in Portugal because monasteries can look like cathedrals. They often look like churches. But it's actually a monastery. It was set up by the first king of Portugal, Dom Afonso. And he's buried there opposite his son, the second king of Portugal. Really interesting history in Coimbra. I'm at a stadium that's built for international matches. The press area here is just humongous. It's the Estadio Cidade de Coimbra, one of the stadiums they upgraded for the 2004 European Championship. The other ones were Leiria, Aveiro. Of course, they built the stadium in the Algarve for that tournament. And this club, 14-year spell in the Primeira Liga. They actually won the Portuguese Cup in 2012. Would you believe it? They beat Atletico Madrid here 2-0 in the Europa League the following season. After getting relegated in 2015-16, they were pretty close to going straight back up. They finished in the top seven for five straight seasons. But this season, oh man, it's bad. It's real bad. They're rock bottom of the Segunda Liga. Five points off the playoff promotion spot and a massive 12 points away from Brazil. They're in 15th spot. They're hosting Benfica B who I saw at home in Lisboa not that long ago destroy Ferenc Fabinho with that piece of filth goal. Academica on their fourth manager of the season, Jose Gomes, has had one game in charge. He's got a pretty unenviable task to try and keep this proud club up. Another interesting experience in the Portuguese football landscape, that's for sure. We're about five minutes away from kickoff here. It's one of those stadiums with a running track around it. Just terrible. But watching football, you're miles away from the pitch. 36 minute and Benfica B are in front. It was Enrique Pereira who got to the byline and he's crossed it and Joao Rezende squeezed it home from a tight angle. Well, there we go. They've done it. 49th minute. It was a pretty good move down the right wing. Jonathan Toro and Trakina combining. The ball coming over to top scorer, Joao Carlos. And he's had plenty of time, basically right on the penalty spot. There was no one anywhere near him. And he's had a bit of time to pick his spot put it in the back of the net. Game on.
unbelievable <laughs> academic area in the lead. Just a couple of minutes after equalising. It's Costinha with a cross from the left wing. It's caused a bunch of confusion. The ball's come back in the box again. And it looks like Shroel Carlos has scored his second. Benfica have equalised, 66 minute. Academica were actually looking really good after taking the lead, but it's Martin Neto, the midfielder. He's had a shot from distance, and unfortunately for Academica, the keeper Vladimir Stojkovic, he could only palm it as far as Joao Rezent, the 18-year-old, who had an easy finish for his second goal. Benfica have scored. Looks like it was actually a really good call. A quick look at the replay. Looked a mile offside from here in real time, but fair play to the linesman down there. She got it right. Unbelievable. What a, <laughs> what a game. 89th minute. Academica have equalised to make it 3-3. It's Fabio Forch who's sent Mauro Caballero through. He was well wide, but he's taken it on his left foot with a volley and just smashed it into the top corner. What a goal. And now Caballero has been sent off. Couldn't have been more than a minute after scoring. There's a Benfica player rolling all over the floor. So they, they got involved in a bit of a tangle. And then it looks like in trying to jump over the Benfica player, I still can't see who it is. He might have accidentally stepped on part of his head or scraped his head with his studs or something. Will that make a difference? Oh, my God. I can't believe what I've just seen. That was incredible. It was a free kick from way out for Benfica and Stojkovic has come out to try and punch it away. He's done that, but only as far as Thiago Gouveia. And with Stojkovic out of his area, Gouveia has hit it from distance right on the edge of the 18-yard box into the top corner. I'm, just, I'm shocked. I'm, what a game. This is, this is the best game I've seen in... Uh, in my time here in Portugal, easily. The Bolvista Benfica game was excellent, but this one has surpassed it. Full time, just unbelievable. I'm gonna go and find a bar. <laughs> I was hoping they would, they would at least draw, so they would be a bit more willing to speak to me and a bit more jovial. These Academica supporters are not going to be happy whatsoever. All right, I've managed to track down an academic uh, supporter who's not too depressed to speak to me. Guilherme, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. It was a, a tough game. It was a very important game to avoid the, the relegation. You told me you're 23 years old? I'm 23, yeah. And you started coming to games here when you were five? When I'm five, yeah. yeah so that means five. basically academic were in the Primeira Liga 
since you knew them? Uh, yeah, I saw Academica in Primera Liga 10 years, I think. Uh, then we, we got, we've got to relegation in 2015, but uh, in this year uh, all things went wrong, went very bad. Let's go back a bit to some happier times. <laughs> Obviously, Taça de Portugal, that must have been magic. Yeah. What do you remember about that day? Yeah, I was 13 years old. Uh, I remember to wake up and see a lot of people to, to went to Lisbon to see Académica. It was a game with Sporting Portugal. We were with the feeling that it would be very difficult to win, but uh, we started the game very well. We scored in the fourth minute, and then the team had a, a very good uh, game, and uh, in, the, in the final minutes we had a, a little bit of a hard attack with, mm-hmm. uh, with Sporting attacking, but it was uh, uh, one, I think it's one of the best days of my life. It it was a very good memory and uh, uh, we hope that Academica can return to that to that glorious day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and the next season you were in the Europa League and you beat Atletico Madrid. Were you here for that game? Yes, yes. Uh, I went to that game with Atletico Madrid. It was a very good game from Academica. Atletico in that time uh, bring some of the, the B team, let's say like that. But some of that players in the next year were champion of, of Spain, like Coque. They had a very young talent players coming to, to Coimbra and we, we went to Nil. But in the Europe League we had some games that we could do a little bit better and pass to the next stage but it was one great day to win a a team like Atletic Madrid that is one of the biggest in Europe. I bet and so that unfortunately brings me to this season. What has gone wrong this season? How did it get this bad? Uh, I don't know. Uh, we we signed a lot of players that were not good to to this level to second league and I think that academic is a special club and uh, with the relegation to the second league we have a breakdown let's say in uh, to to the city to some fans we we have economical uh, issues and difficulties so it's like a, a mix of all the things and it comes to a very, very bad season. We are in last place and uh, after this game I think that we are, we are going to, to be relegated to the third division. We never went to the, to the third league. We are we were always on a second league or first league. Yeah, it's almost unthinkable. I mean, Zeg Gomes is like your fourth manager of the season now. I mean, what's going on? It, it seems to me, I've been to quite a few clubs and when you see this going on, it seems it's not, it's not the players, it's not the manager, it's everything above. Is that, a, is that a problem? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. It's a big problem starting from the president and the other, the other people that, that follow him. It's, it's not manager's fault because we are like in the fourth manager and the team always plays the same. The team doesn't have strength and attitude in the games. It's uh, easier to send off the manager mm. instead of send off 13 players, for example. What I notice is that your defence was very old today. You had two 33 years old, one 39 years old. You had Costinha, the winger, who twenty year old, who's come through your academy. You had the, the, the centre back come for, you bought him from Porto, twenty one year old, but overall it's an old team. Yes. Um, is that a problem that you see also? Yes, yes. Especially in the in the defence, like you said, uh, we played against Benfica B, and and they have several young players, and that kind of players are very fast. We had Porto B win, winning the second division a few years ago. It looks like Benfica could win this season. They have so many young players. 
academic or don't have many young players. How do you see the whole landscape in, in Portugal? The three, the three biggest clubs, Sporting, Porto and Benfica, uh, can catch and they have uh, economic power to get all the, the youngest players that have uh, capacity to reach the, the higher level. It's very difficult to the smallest cl- clubs to, to catch the, the, those kind of players uh, to, and to keep them in the, in the team. So it's, it's very difficult. Com- Portugal has a lot of uh, inequality between the three biggest clubs and the other ones. So it's very difficult to, to have the, the youngest players that can increase the, the quality of the team. How are you going to feel in the Liga 3? Um, you'll still come and support this club, but how do you think it will affect the club overall dropping down? Could it be a good thing? Do you think it will be a good time to clean out all these old players and just go with the youngsters? I, mean. I hope that we can do that, but when we get relegation from the first division to the second one, we thought that, but it wasn't. The board team didn't do that. I hope that the, the relegation can make academic a, a restructure and bet in the youngest players from the academy, but... Uh, I don't know, I don't know. We have a lot of uh, financial problems and uh, those problems will be higher. It will be very difficult times for Academica. Sure, it's not over. I mean, you can score goals, we've seen that. But obviously defending is, is another problem. Like we said in the, in the stadium, I, we don't know how a team that scores six goals in two games only makes one point. I think that shows all the, the Academica season. We score a lot of goals, but we concede a lot, uh, a lot more. So it's, it's very difficult. Thank you for your time, Guilherme, and best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, thank you. sitting in a restaurant in Covilha, which is a town on the southeastern side of the Sela de Estrela, the biggest mountain range in mainland Portugal. And the highest point in mainland Portugal is called Torre, which is about half an hour's drive from here. There's a lot of hiking up in the mountains. They actually do a little bit of skiing there, and they produce a very, very tasty cheese. I'm here to see Sporting de Covilha tomorrow in the second division. It's such a beautiful place. I didn't have any expectations coming here and I didn't do much research, but it's actually a very important place historically, not only way before the Romans, but for the Romans, and then for the Portuguese nobility, the kings, who valued this place. Walking around the old town as I did this evening, trying to find a restaurant through the mist. Fantastic experience. And I managed to find a restaurant here. (laughs) The menu came on a tiny piece of paper with four dishes written on it. One of them I didn't know what it was, it was called Alieda, and a little bit of research showed me that it was a sausage. It was actually developed by the Jews when the Inquisition was on. Uh, They made it without pork to try and con everyone else to believe that they were eating pork. There was a fair bit of that stuff going on in the Inquisition, as you can imagine, which takes me back to Coimbra. Had another look around, I went into that beautiful Joanina library, which unfortunately now they don't allow you to take uh, pictures in but it's definitely worth a visit and it's such a great place Guimarães was the first capital of Portugal Coimbra was the second capital of Portugal before Lisboa and it's a university town very very international you meet people from all over the place young people who are going to study there it's a town of learning what I realized today walking around there 
is the juxtaposition of what you saw during the Salazar regime, where he was basically dumbing down the education system. It was in his interest that people were not educated. And in Coimbra, it's the complete opposite of that. It's all about learning, about ideas, about freedom of expression. And even walking up the streets, they have a lot of information on outside the buildings. And one of them I walked past was the press, one of the first printing presses in Portugal. And they had some information there. And they also stated that, you know, Salazar shut it down. I think that was what made it click in my brain, that, as I said, the juxtaposition of that fact of generations of Portuguese people suffering in the education system and yet Coimbra really existing as a place of higher learning and knowledge. Half time at the Estadio Municipal José dos Santos Pinto and it's Sporting Covilha nil to an offence nil. One of the dullest halves of football you'll ever see here. Neither goalkeeper with a save to make. The only chance for Cobilia came through Rui Gomes, guy who scored that goal at Penafiel. It was deflected wide, and to the fence really haven't looked like scoring either. The best piece of entertainment here was actually when the ball went over the fence on the eastern side into the car park, and a bloke from the dugout <laughs> from Cobilia just bolted up the line and uh, went to try and retrieve it. Maybe they should give him a spot on the wing. He was flying. But it's no surprise that both these teams are down the bottom of the Segunda Liga table. To the fence in 14th spot. Covilha, 17th spot in the relegation zone. A win here today would actually take them above Varzim and put them into the relegation playoff spot. But it's not really happening for them today. Maybe Lionel Ponch can work some magic at the break here. I've been told I can approach Ryan Teague after the final whistle as he makes his way off the pitch and have a chat with him. So hopefully I can get down there. There's about, in the bottom section here, 200 supporters for Covilha. And there's about, I'd say, 10, maybe 15 to defence supporters. Probably the same maniacs I saw at that game in Madeira when they drew with Nacional. They were actually making a lot more noise than the Covilha supporters. A lot of negative energy here from the home supporters. A lot of angry comments directed towards some of their players when they make a mistake. So the atmosphere here, not great. Amazing that they won their first two games of the season. And optimism must have been really high. And since then they've won only once here against Vardasim 1-0. And it's really not looking good. I had an interesting chat with a guy at the hotel I'm staying at here. And his boss, the owner of the hotel, actually wrote a book about this club. It's, on, it's more of an encyclopedia. It's, it's absolutely massive. It goes through every year from, I think, in the 20s to 1990. Every year, every team, every game, every goal. It's just incredible that someone went to that much effort. His hotel sponsored this club and up to 10 of their players used to stay at that hotel for free. It seemed like the relationship was pretty good. And then at some point, the club neglected that relationship and the owner just said, well, we're out. They no longer sponsor the club. I can see here behind the goal on the western side, they're sponsored by another hotel now. As I said at Academica in Coimbra, you know, when teams are down in the relegation zone and looking terrible on the pitch, it's beyond the players and the manager. It's usually way above their heads. And it's a culture thing. 
It's a professionalism thing, and it comes from the president, and it filters all the way down. They were actually in the first division, Covilia, in the 1950s, but they've really been struggling to get anywhere near the top flight again. They did go close in 2014-15. They missed out on promotion on goal difference. They finished sixth in 2018-19, but usually they sort of hang around that mid-table position in the Segunda Liga, but this season could be a new low and it could be dropped down to the third division. It's a goal. 58th minute. Cobillia taking the lead. It was great work by Rui Gomes. Down the left wing. He got to the byline, crossed it in. And Kukula, who's had a pretty tough game. No one anywhere near him. And he's headed the ball home from about a yard out. Giving the crowd something to get excited about at last. Great to hear. Great to see some positivity here in Kobilia. Let's see if offense can respond. He's not running as fast anymore, old matey. That's his fourth trip to try and find a ball that's been launched over the fence. <laughs> he's, 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 he's running out of energy. We've got about 10 minutes to go here to the fence, starting to throw players forward as they chase an equaliser. Samu, who's just come off the bench for Kobilia, has just gone through on goal. But instead of getting a bit closer and trying to uh, place it in the corner, he's gone for power and he's fired way over the bar. Luckily, didn't go high enough to go into the car park, otherwise old, old matey would have had to done a length of the field sprint and um, he might not have made it. fifth minute and it's 2-0 Samu who just had a chance a couple of minutes before Rui Gomes has found him out on the left wing there was no one anywhere near him to the offence committing way too many players forward and this time from further out with his right foot he's found the bottom corner and surely surely that will be the first win of the year for Kabilia. And they've done it. What a win. First win of the year. First clean sheet of the year. Takes them out of the relegation zone. They really needed some confidence. And maybe this win will give them enough confidence to go on and avoid dropping down to the third division. 
Bob the Yard got it done here 2-0. I'm with Ryan Teague. Ryan, first win of the year, first clean sheet of the year. How good is it? Uh, I mean, it's the best feeling. I think you can hear in the background as well by, by the sounds of it how much it means to us. Uh, it's been a, a hard couple months with losses and draws and stuff. So, you know, this win now and the position we're in, it's, it's a real confidence boost going into the next couple games we have. You had a couple of players joined in the winter who linked up for the goal. Rui Golmich, he had a great game. What's he, what's he brought to the club since moving over in the winter? Yeah, great game. I think technically on the ball, man, I think I think you see games like this, he one-on-one, -on -one, he's very good, he's dangerous, and then getting down the line, crossing the ball, I mean, it's a real strength of his. And you see today we, we scored a goal because of it. How are you finding life here in Covilio? What's it like? How have you adapted here? I'm, I'm assuming it must have been bloody cold in winter. I mean, it's quite different coming from Sydney, a place like Sydney where it's hot most of the time. So, But, you know, it's different. I mean... Uh, Last all about different experiences and different opportunities and this is one of them and I'm just getting accustomed to the you know the climate, the people and the community here, so it's been good. How's your Portuguese? Nah, it's getting along better than people think, I'm pretty sure. I've been here for over two years now, so you know hopefully I can speak some of it. <laughs> I'm staying in a hotel, I know you stayed there for a couple of months, but now how's your living situation? Tell me how you're living, how, how's life going? Nah, it's good. I, I have an apartment here with one of the boys, uh, David, the left back, so... Have your parents been able to get over here, see how you're living and experience this part of Portugal? Uh, my dad was over here a month ago. It was good to see him. I haven't seen him in a long time, but like, unfortunately, like you said, because of COVID, I haven't seen my mum and my younger sister in uh, in over two years now. So, so it's, it's, it gets difficult at times, I'm not going to lie. But. What do you get up to in your, in your time off here? I mean, such a beautiful uh, part of Portugal. The, the air is so clean, so much outdoor sort of activities. What do you get up to? To be honest, there's a lot, we have a lot of hard trainings in the mornings so and the afternoons. I'm, most of the time I'm resting, but when I like to go out, like you said, they have the Cerro de Estrela here, which is where the snow is. So, Best of luck for the rest of the season and uh, good luck for your career. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. the Estadio do Mar in Matosinhos. There's a beautiful mural of Vitor Oliveira, the legendary manager who was actually born in Matosinhos. Managed Leixóis for a while. And tonight they are hosting Villa Franquense. 
They sure have won their last three matches. Climbing up to seventh in the Segunda Liga. Villafran Kents lost their last two. Les Shoys were ever present in the first division from 1959 all the way up to 1977. And most recently they had a three season spell which ended in 2010. The biggest success they had here was the Tassa de Portugal in 1961. I'm situated right next to the stadium announcer, which is always good, right behind the supporters here. I can reach out and touch them. Half time and it's nil-nil. There haven't really been any decent chances at all. I mean, the best thing about the first half was I've got a group of about 10 women in front of me. Some of them are dressed in, uh, in those joker hats. And uh, they're giving it large. Not afraid to abuse the linesmen. They're having a great time. Providing plenty of entertainment for those around them. And here they go, giving it to the referee. <laughs> There's one guy down there with a who's on crutches, and he's just used one of his crutches to smash the uh, the makeshift tunnel that the referees go through. <laughs> Looks like that's going to be one nil to Villa. Frankens, and it's just a just a horrible goalkeeping mistake. It was an easy cross, but Igor Stefanovic, instead of catching it, he's well, he's dropped it, and he's tried to regather the ball, but he couldn't get there in time. Nene just picked it up, stepped around him, fired it into the net. He's going ballistic, trying to convinced the linesman that there was some sort of foul going on but I think he's just trying to cover up his mistake only the 49th minute let's see if Lee Shawish can get back into the game then they went close again with a volley from distance that hit the post it was great technique and Lee Shawish manager Jose Motta seen enough making two changes Philippe Gouveia making the first change for Villafranquense. It's Levi Lomica. I remember watching him in Barzim a couple of years ago. Two more changes coming on as Fabinho. Not sure why he didn't start. He scored four goals in his last three games. And also Edivaldo, who has gone straight up front. They've equalised in the 79th minute. It's Talos with the cross from the right wing. And Wendell, the substitute, heading into the bottom corner. They were threatening without really 
getting any shots on target, but that one was on target. And it's a goal. <laughs> the home crowd. These uh, these women are hilarious. There's <laughs> there's one in particular who's the uh, ringleader. She's not going to have much voice left after this game. Unbelievable, Lee Choice about three chances and at a time. Both centre backs have headed corners wide, and Fabinho. Smash a shot at goal, but it was deflected over the bar. Time running out. And the game ends 1-1. Ultimately, it was that terrible mistake from the Lee Shorish goalkeeper that let them down. They came home really strong. Had a lot of ball, a lot of corners. Must have been close to 15 corners in the match. But it wasn't meant to be. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned everywhere is war we say war that until they're no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes I'm just making my way through the chaos here in the vicinity of the Johan Cruyff Arena. There are just cans of Heineken, thousands of them, all on the, all over the floor. Beer, all over the floor. The smell of weed, all over the place. Firecrackers. It's um, ex explosions going off all over the place. You wouldn't want to get too close to one or you'd, uh, you'd blow an eardrum. So let's see if I can find the accreditation centre, get in the stadium and get away from this madness. some of the games I've been to in Portugal it doesn't only feel like I'm in another country it feels like I'm on a different planet the support here is just next level they're all together they're all obsessive they're all fanatical Benfica have filled out the 
away allocation. And I've seen some other Benfica supporters in different parts of the stadium. It's going to be full. And one of the things you notice here is that people have just given up wearing masks. That particular approach to the COVID pandemic has gone out the window. I've been here only once before in 2004, maybe 2005. Ajax against Hedenbein. Hunzela was playing for Hedenbein that day. I was with a bunch of guys, only one of them I knew, and it was non-stop joint action. No sooner had one started to be smoked that someone was rolling another one. As the lights go out here at the Johan Cruyff Arena, I mean, they just take the whole production to the next level with the music, now the lights. We're about five minutes away from kickoff. What a great atmosphere. Half time in Amsterdam, nil nil. It's pretty much been all Ajax. But they haven't really been able to test La Chodimos. A few headers over the bar, a lot of the chances coming through Dusan Tadic. Benfica really pinned in their own half for most of that opening period. They had a few corners around the 25th minute mark and they had a free kick late on, but apart from those, they really never looked like creating anything from open play. Ajax have had 65% possession, 9-2 to two shots, which basically explains most of what happened in that opening 45 minutes. Ajax really doing well to create overloads on the left wing. Daily Blind, Gravenberg coming over there with Dusan Tadic. And on the right side, of course, Mazarawi, Anthony. Anthony still really hasn't fired in this tie. He was kept really quiet in Lisbon. And even now, you can see that Benfica are very worried about him. And Julian Beigel tends to get across there to try and help out Grimaldo as much as possible. Seventy-seventh minute, but it's not Ajax. It's Benfica. Ajax had bossed the entire second half. They just lost their control a little bit, and it was Edson with a dumb foul on Gonzalo Ramos way out near the corner flag. And Benfica have only ever looked like doing something from set pieces, and that's how they've scored. It's Grimaldo with the free kick. And Darwin Nunez has headed at home. I could sort of feel this coming. Ajax have never really tested Blasomidos, despite their dominance. And now they've been hit with a sucker punch. 
And they've got about 13 minutes to get out of jail here in Amsterdam. Ajax have just dominated so much, but you have to credit Benfica for turning up time after time, defensively getting men in front of the ball, making last-ditched challenges, blocking shots. Let's see if they can pull off what would be quite a remarkable victory here. Six minutes of that at a time. There's a hilarious Ajax fan down there who's brought with him some replica yellow and red cards. <laughs> and whenever there's a uh, decision he thinks should have been given one, he launches it down and one of them just landed in the dugout, the Benfica dugout. Can Ajax. And they've just really lost their heads. They're panicking. They haven't been able to really test Rashamidas whatsoever. 70% possession, large majority of the shots, but a lot of crosses, never really looking likely to play any combination passes on the edge of the box to, to get through that way. Benfica pretty much locked the door. And there it is. What an amazing victory for the Portuguese club. I feel sorry for their supporters here. In front of me, they're getting beer thrown all over them. And there might be some ugly scenes at some later stage. Hopefully not, but always playing a little bit of a risky game when you're in amongst the home support and you're celebrating a victory in a situation like this. But back to the game and Ajax bossed it. They really didn't create that many opportunities relative to their possession and shots. Benfica hung in there, defended resolutely and nabbed the goal from the free kick. Huge win. I don't think many people saw this coming. Not many of the 55,000 here. Maybe not even some of the Benfica supporters. They've got it done. Well played to them. And they continue on in the Champions League into the quarterfinals.
Tu 